Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's just start in Jeremiah 31. In Jeremiah 31, and we are talking about the covenants of God in Scripture. And there are more than our Protestant friends would like us to believe. They believe in the covenant of works, which is not in the Scripture whatsoever, and the covenant of grace and try to cram all the Bible into that mold. Uh, we refuse to do that because the Bible talks about different covenants. It talks about the covenant of Noah uh, that God made with him and promised him the seasons would continue and that the earth would not be destroyed by a flood ever again. And uh, yet every time it rains, everybody starts talking about Noah. Don't worry about it. Not going to happen. Uh, and then God made a promise to Abraham. And then God made a covenant with Israel and gave the law to Moses. And please do not forget, there is more to the law than the Ten Commandments. Um, the reckoning is 613 commandments in the Old Testament law. Every one of those is part the covenant of the law, the preamble, the summary is the Ten Commandments. And mankind in all his great wisdom and all of his greatest accomplishments has yet to come up with a legal system that is as simple and as pure as the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. Uh, I like what one preacher said many years ago. He said, we have two and a half million laws on the federal statute books of the United States of America, every one of them trying to help you keep the Ten Commandments. And actually, if you stop and think about it, it's true. Um, and then uh, we talked about the covenant with David, how the God chose out the king and established uh, uh, a a uh, dynasty there that would culminate in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and tonight we're going to talk about the last covenant or the new covenant. And here in Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, we're going to start in verse uh, 27. It's, uh, of course, Jeremiah's main uh, theme of his prophecy was the sin of Israel. And as Jeremiah is is speaking here, he said, the, verse 27, Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days they shall say no more, The fathers have eaten a sour grape, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But every one shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, 
which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God. And they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, God promises a new covenant with Israel. And in that new covenant, it is not going to be anymore a learning of the laws of God, a teaching of the laws of God. It is going to be something that they know. And uh, God says, I'm going to put that in their inward heart. They're going to know the Lord and they're going to be my people. Now, we must remember that these covenants actually have an incredible bearing on prophecy and on things yet to be fulfilled in the Scripture. Uh, One of the Uh, chief points of Protestant theology, uh, and and they literally borrowed this from the Catholics as, as well, and the Orthodox, that God has rejected Israel and removed Israel from being his people. The people of God is now the church. And this is where they have, feel that they have liberty to connect the uh, baptism of infants with the Old Testament circumcision, which makes no connection at all. It's uh, unbelievable how they stretch the Scriptures. And if you want a little bit of history, here's what makes baby baptism so important. If I control your children, I control the parents. That's what baby baptism was all about. That's why until a group of men assembled in a city uh, here in the United States and drafted a document called the Declaration of Independence, every king and every monarch that had any influence at all uh, with... uh, Eastern and and Western worlds, we're talking about the Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, later the Protestants, and Islam got figured in there as well. No king believed he could reign without having all of his people in the same religious society that he was in. You see, we talk today about a separation of church and state. And normally when you hear that phrase, what you are hearing is some God-hating liberal trying to tell you that the church has no right to judge issues of morality. That's not what separation of church and state is. A separation of church and state, you see, King George III of England was a member of the Anglican Church. And all of the lords and all of the cabinet and all of the house of commons and all of the house of parliament 
were members of King George's church. And so King George not only controlled ultimately uh, the political destiny of the nation of Israel, he, uh, nation of England at that time, he controlled the spiritual destiny as well. In fact, just a few kings before George, they were putting people to death because they refused to read their prayers out of the Book of Common Prayer. Could you imagine such a thing? Put people in prison. If you go back a few uh, centuries before King George, you have the story of, of, um, of John Bunyan, the Baptist preacher who spent 12 years in prison because he would not take a state license. It was about 450 or 60 years, 500 years roughly before the American Revolution. No, what am I saying? Uh, I was in the 15, uh, 1500s to the 1700s, 200 years. Uh, we, we have all of these things going on. God said, I'm making a covenant and there's going to be freedom of the people. They're not going to have to learn. They will know. Now, if you stop and you think about it, what Jeremiah is simply talking about was God's grace. You see, Israel had made a mistake. The same mistake that the Protestants and the Catholics and and many other people have made. They thought they could earn God's righteousness by keeping the law. Now, if we wanted to take enough time to really build this up, and one of the reasons why your outline is so sparse here uh, is, is simply because there's so much ground to be covered. You need to, we would need to do an exposition of uh, actually the entire book of Galatians here as Paul explains the place that the law is supposed to have. The law is to convict you. The law was to condemn you. You see, if you follow American jurisprudence in this day, why do we make laws? Because we think that if we make a law, we will stop poor behavior. As I was going into uh, landmarks this uh, this morning, uh, trying to... Uh, start the process, it was landmarks and then back to ECB and then back to landmarks and back to ECB and and back and forth between the two several times. And uh, uh, there was a group of people there from uh, Mayor de Blasio's Zero Vision, Vision Zero group. And you'll be proud of me as your pastor. I kept my mouth shut. I didn't talk to them. Uh, I didn't address them at all. There were so many things I just wanted to say, uh, but I didn't because it wouldn't have been in the, in the spirit. It would have been in the flesh. Uh, you're, you're not going to have a vision zero until you deal with the spirits of people who drive cars <laughs> in New York City. And... and uh, I don't know about you, but driving in this city brings out carnal nature very quickly. Uh, does anybody else have that problem? 
Uh, okay, good. I, I'm not the only guilty one in the crowd today here. Uh, and uh, But there are people who do not have the Spirit of Christ in their nature, and they're not going to be quelled, and they're going to drive like idiots. And as long as you've got people doing that, you're going to have people being killed. And you're not going to stop it by passing more laws. It's man's nature. The law of God was meant to be very simple. But it was meant to convict us. Every lamb, every animal that was sacrificed was meant to teach that we as human beings... Israel, as members of Israel, if you lived in the Old Testament time, yes, you did have to become a Jew if you were going to express faith in the Word of God. And you would take your sacrifices, just like the Jewish people did, to the temple once it was built. And before that, it was the tabernacle. And that's how you expressed your faith in Christ. But we already went through that with the law. There were many periods of time where the sacrifices weren't being offered. The Ark of the Covenant disappeared when Nebuchadnezzar sacked Jerusalem. And it has never been found. Do not believe the... Oh, what, what is that? Harrison Ford movies, whatever they were. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, didn't happen. Uh, you, you, you know, you talk about fantasy land. Uh, that's, you're just way out there where he found the Ark of the Covenant. No. They have not. And if the blood wasn't sprinkled upon the mercy seat, which was the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, was the ceremony on the Day of Atonement fulfilled? Absolutely not. But that would mean that Daniel, among many other thousands of, of Jewish people who expressed faith in God, we would have Zechariah and, and uh, Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. There, there was no Ark of the Covenant in the temple when Jesus walked up the steps to the temple complex. It was gone. Did God still forgive sins? Absolutely. Because we will see those people in heaven. We have every assurance and hope out of the Bible. And that in itself ought to be enough to confirm to you and I that the keeping of the law did not bring salvation. The keeping of the law brought us to Christ. Every sacrifice was done in faith. How are you saved? Grace through faith. How was Abel saved? It says, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice, didn't he? You see, he had God's message that it's the blood of the innocent that atones for sin until Jesus came and redeemed us from sin. And so this new covenant... We have, we need to understand 
that God says, I'm going to build Israel again. Now, everybody's gotten all excited in, in 1948 when Israel became a state and said it's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. No, it's not. It's a reminder, but you need to understand that these covenants that God made with the land of Israel stretches from the Nile River, which Egypt, all the way on the West Bank, the East Bank, all the way to the Euphrates River. That's the covenant of the land. And one day Israel will possess that land. We believe it will be during the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. And The son of David will sit upon the throne, and not only will he rule the Jewish people, he will rule the world and fulfill the Davidic covenant. And one other covenant that we forgot, that I didn't forget, we're just trying to fit it in here, but this is where, uh, it actually fits in. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 11, and, and we'll try to stay out of all the gory details of which there are many in this story. But in Numbers chapter 11, we have gross, purposeful idolatry and rebellion against God by one of the leaders, the chief uh, fathers of the house of Simeon, who commits fornication with a uh, one of the princesses of Moab in, in defiance to Moses and all of the law of God. And Phinehas puts an end to that. He takes a spear and kills both of these people. And we come here to Numbers chapter 11 and verse... uh, Wait a minute, what am I doing here? Numbers 11. No, that's not it. I'm sorry. Um, Maybe it's... I have to look up that reference. I'm sorry. Um, Okay, that's 22. But um, anyway, God promises to Phineas, one of the grandsons of um, of um, Aaron, the, a, a covenant of peace that he would be an everlasting, um, let me, is it 2511? I looked right at that. Thank you, Brother Franz. Yes, there we go. Um, And it says that Phineas 25, verse 9, those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore I say, Behold, I give unto him a covenant of peace. And he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. And so we believe that 
this is going to be the connection between Ezekiel's temple. How many of you have read Ezekiel's temple, 40, chapters 40 through 48? Most of the time when we get there, it's going, oh no, here we go. Let me tell you, there are some incredible promises. And this is one of them. God says, I'm going to build Israel. That Israel is going to continue as my people. Israel has never been cast off or destroyed or removed from being a people of God. But he allowed, as you read in the book of Romans, their unbelief to allow us as Gentiles to be grafted in. But that temple will be built. There's never been a temple like Ezekiel's temple in history. And so, here's what our quote-unquote scholars say. It's spiritual. It's talking about things that are never going to be on earth. Well, then why does it say the sons of Zadok, which is the seed of Phinehas, uh, are going to serve in the temple? And he tells Phinehas he's going to have an everlasting priesthood. You see, I don't need to throw out eight chapters of my Bible if I understand the covenants. And all of this is going to be brought together. I, I for one, am so eager. If there is anything I desire to see during the Millennial Kingdom, it's the temple. It is the sons of of Phineas, the sons of Zadok, offering those sacrifices. And by the way, they will be different than in the Old Testament under the law. In the Old Testament under the law, they pointed toward Jesus. In the Millennial Kingdom, they'll point backwards. Very very similar to uh, baptism. Amen? From John the Baptist to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it pointed forward to the coming Messiah. From the resurrection of Jesus Christ until the rapture of the church, it points backwards to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? And one of the ways that you can know that your understanding of Scripture is not uh, of your own imagination is the fact that it agrees. We do not build doctrine from parallels in Scripture. You follow me? I just gave you a parallel of the direction of the priesthood and the sacrifices. But we can know we're heading in the right direction if our parallels match up. Does that that make sense? If your picture is in focus, if your picture is correct, it will not contradict other scripture, it'll agree. And so, the reason these covenants are important is because Israel will never cease to exist. You read the rest of Jeremiah chapter 31, and, and God promises as long as there's day and night, there is going to be an Israel. Now, uh, we are... The only way we're going to get through this is for everybody just turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. And what we're going to do is we're just going to touch on a few verses. 
here and there. And again, we're going to hopefully make some connections here as in these chapters of the Bible, the new covenant that is coming, the one promised in Jeremiah, is uh, contrasted with the old covenant, which would... which is the law of God that God gave to Moses. And um, if I can just short-circuit this whole thing and get right to the end, so we're following the end point and don't get lost in between here as we go through a lot of verses in just a very few minutes. As with all of God's covenants, everything is about Jesus. All of the covenants point us to Jesus Christ. You see, Noah's Ark is a picture of Jesus. Uh, Solomon put it this way, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. And we talk about Abraham. He is the father of all the faithful. Amen? Amen. We, we talk about Israel and Paul lines this out in the book of Galatians that there is a physical Israel and there is a spiritual seed of Abraham that we join him and we are partaker of many of those blessings, not all the same ones. There are certain promises that are made just to the church. And so everything is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Now, what I'm trying to say here is if we do not understand the covenants, these words are going to be meaningless. What the writer of Hebrews is telling us is our high priest is not of the line of Phineas, but is of after the order of Melchizedek, which is Jesus Christ. He is our high priest. And as we read on down through here, we look at verse um, uh, for, for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was admonished when God, by, of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For, see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in The mount. Now, how many of you remember that? As God had Moses up there on Mount Sinai the second time for 40 days, he showed him the pattern of everything that was in the tabernacle. Now, how did God show him the pattern? He showed him the true things in heaven that God had made and said, I want you to make one on earth in the same pattern. Now, what we're having here is where the writer of Hebrews is expressing to us the difference between the Old Covenant, the Law of God, and the New Covenant. 
and he's explaining that the old covenant was God's laws. They were the pattern of the heavenly things, but they were, there was a fault. There was a problem with the old covenant. How many of you want to guess what the problem with the old covenant was? Ladies, how many of you have a mirror in your purse? Just get it out. That's the problem with the Old Covenant. It's us. It's, it's mankind. We can only go so far. And if we skip ahead to uh, chapter 10, I believe it is, it tells us that if the sacrifices could actually have taken away sin, then would not they have ceased to be offered? Does that make sense to you? If the sacrifices actually worked... Why would we have to do them every year? Well, they didn't work. They were the picture. The law was to condemn us. The, Paul put it this way, it's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. All of the covenants of God point us to the person of Jesus Christ and ultimately are fulfilled by faith In Jesus Christ. That's what the new covenant is. That's why when we get to Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Why? That's the new covenant. That's how we're supposed to live. And here's what a lot of people say about true Bible Christianity. Oh, there's so many do's and don'ts. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have gotten everything done that you're supposed to do as a Christian? I'm just showing you what to do in case we might have such a person in the auditorium. Uh, Not that we ever would because you never will. That's why if you want more faith, we say we are unprofitable servants. We've done that which is our duty to do. You see, the Christian life is not do and don't. When you get saved, you move past the do and don't. It's do. And when we don't do what we're supposed to do, we sin. And we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins because he has fulfilled every part of the law and his sacrifice was perfect for every sin that was ever sinned. And so we are able to, as Paul said in the book of Philippians, press on. Amen? If you... Um, we're to look here in, in um, uh, Acts, I mean, Hebrews chapter 8. It says here, verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Does, does anybody remember that? We just read it. In Jeremiah. You see, that was the beginning of the prophecy. And if you'll follow through, the writer of the Hebrews is quoting that prophecy of Jeremiah. And he's saying it's going to be fulfilled, not in the priesthood of the Levites, but in the eternal priesthood of Jesus Christ. And so we get here to verse 13. Uh, verse 12, let's just read this. Uh, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, 
He hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And here's where a lot of people really start making some terrible mistakes in the Scripture. That's why we go to Hebrews chapter 9. You see, everything in the Old Covenant is represented in the New. You see, the Ten Commandments are not the standard of righteousness. Jesus is the standard of righteousness. Can we say amen to that? That's why nobody can match up. But every one of those Ten Commandments, if we'll let them, will point us to Jesus Christ. Do they not? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Uh, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Uh, there is no representations of God. That's why we have no icons. And, and it's absolutely amazing how the Orthodox Church curses the Catholics for all of their statues and all of their idolatry, and yet they do exactly the same things to their icons, even worse. Let me tell you, God is a spirit, and if we're going to worship Him, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You read the letters to the churches. What did he say to the church of Philadelphia? He says, Thou hast a little strength. He said, You've kept my name. Jesus' name is still important, my friend. It's not a curse word. Don't go, Oh my God, when something happens. Don't offer God abbreviated prayers. If, if it's important, pray for it. If it isn't, forget about it. Amen? But God cares about even the smallest of things if we will bring it to Him in honest and true prayer. Honor thy father and thy mother. Keep the Sabbath day. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet the Ten Commandments. I think I got them all. You know how we keep the Sabbath day? By resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ and not trying to earn my salvation with what I've done. Amen? How do I not commit murder? The Bible says, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Thou shalt not hate. How do we deal with adultery? Thou shalt not lust. How do we bear, uh, not bear false witness? Is speak every man the truth with his brother. You see, that's why we get to Hebrews chapter 10. And we, we have here, look at verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image 
of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Now we get down here to, to um, uh, uh, verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and often offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man... After that, he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting to his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And then we go through the end of the chapter and, and Hebrews chapter 10 lists all of the things that we have, that God has given us to serve Him. It talks about our profession of faith. It talks about um, uh, the forgiveness that we have. The, the uh, verse uh, 19, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way, which He hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. How many of you remember when you used to attend a church that didn't teach the Bible and you had no assurance of your faith? You just kept trying over and over again, hoping that someday it would be good enough. Then you got saved. And it's finished. That's why it says that up there. Because I want to remind everybody every time that walks in, 99% of everything that calls itself Christian is still trying to finish what Jesus did on the cross. Not here. Because it is finished. I have a full assurance. I have a fellowship of believers. That's why it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Amen? I have patience. I can have patience. After that, I've done the will of God to wait, to receive His promise. That These are all things that are in chapter 10. Then we get to chapter 11. And everything is by faith in chapter 11. And we get to chapter 12. And and in chapter 12, we understand that God is going to Help us. Look at verse 12. It says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. 
It says, verse 28, Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. Verse 29 is still part of this. For our God is a consuming fire. See, God has not changed. The same God that came down on Mount Sinai and made it like a a smoking furnace is the same God that will execute judgment. He's going to begin at the house of God. What's that mean? You and me? He's going to judge our lives for our service for Him. But that covenant is free to all. But just like the covenants of the Old Testament, just like all the other covenants, who's the originator of the covenant? God is, isn't He? Who sets all the stipulations, all the standards? He walked alone through the pieces of those animals when He made the covenant with Abraham. He alone gave Moses the commandments on Mount Sinai. He alone died on the cross and was buried in the tomb and rose again the third day. It's all about God, my friend. But if you're going to enter into that covenant relationship, it has to be by faith. And our faith is expressed by confessing the Lord Jesus and believing in our heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. That simply means that what He did on the cross is all we need to get saved. We surrender our life to Him. That's what Lord means. We trust our salvation only to Him. That's what the word Jesus means. That's how simple salvation is. God uses this covenant, the new covenant, to save mankind from their sin. All the other promises point right here. When Jesus sits upon that throne in the new Jerusalem and governs the world as the son of David, there will be a temple. And in that temple on earth will be the sons of Zadok. And everything that happened in the Old Testament law is going to happen there. And we're going to get to see it. But it's only going to remind us of what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? By the way, why do we need a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross? Because he's never going to do it again. He only did it one time in all of history. Amen? And so we'll see the promise of the land, the promise of Abraham... The promise that in Abraham's seed all the world would be blessed. We will see the son of David sitting upon the throne of David, ruling the world in peace for a thousand years. And we will see the sons of Phinehas performing the priesthood in the temple in the new Jerusalem. And guess what? We'll be there as kings and priests unto our God. And God will take all of the saved... And we will be one fold, for we will have one shepherd, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the mystery of the New Testament. 
how that God would let us Gentiles enter into the covenant relationship that was reserved only for the seed of Abraham up until that time. Do you see how the covenants take all the Bible and make it one book about one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, we just ask that you would help us to see the big picture here. And to understand all that you've done for us and why you had to die on the cross and why you will sit and reign as the son of David. And and these things that, uh, if we're not careful, they'll just not mean as much to us as they really should. Lord, we ask you to help us to grasp your word and your grace and your goodness and your love to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just have the piano play. If you need to slip out and spend some time in prayer.